Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. If you are a brand, measuring what you are receiving and the return on investment and return on objective is imperative. It's at the pointy end of your marketing activities and no doubt you need to report internally on how you are going with spending company budget. If you are a rights holder, you need to be measuring and reporting to your sponsors so that you can show that you are an important part of that marketing budget. At a bare minimum, if you are both following good goal setting and setting the age-old smart objectives for sponsorship, then measuring those objectives is a non-negotiable. That's the M part of smart, right? But how do you measure and report when you have so many moving parts? Welcome to Inside Sponsorship. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston, and it is awesome to have you all tuning in from all different parts of the world. So that question again is, how do you measure and report when you have so many moving parts? Now, the answer is unified measurement. And it isn't just more industry jargon, but instead, it's something that you cannot ignore anymore. Well, you can ignore it, absolutely. However, if you do, as a rights holder... You should know that more and more of your competitors are moving down the unified measurement path and that brands love it and will be expecting you to deliver unified measurement more and more as well. As a brand, yes, you can ignore it, absolutely. That's particularly if you enjoy the sleepless nights worrying about how you can explain succinctly how your sponsorships are contributing to the company's objectives. But more and more of your competitors will be sleeping soundly. Now, you may have heard on the grapevine that Sponserve announced a partnership with Nielsen Sports UK and Ireland. For those who are Sponserve clients and also Nielsen clients, we are working on some super exciting developments we know you are going to love, so stay tuned for those. But more broadly, for everyone, we immediately knew that there was value we could provide to you. Nielsen produced some great insights and white papers each year. And as such, we're going to have various Nielsen staff join us once a month, so every second podcast, to discuss an aspect of their insights content. Then, to support that, Mark's going to focus his blog on supporting and talking further and around that aspect and that topic. Now, recently, Nielsen Sports produced a white paper titled Unified Measurement, Defining a New Sponsorship Currency. And in this episode, I speak with Michael Tang, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Strategy and Solutions at Nielsen Sports and Entertainment, to take a look at the white paper in depth and unpack it and see what it means for you. Now, before we dive too much further into the show, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Jack Bury, who is the GM at Northern Suburbs Rugby, which has proudly represented the Northern Sydney region in the Sydney Premiership, one of the world's strongest club rugby competitions for the past 111 years. Now, Jack got in contact to say, hi, Daniel, I'm a bit late on the uptake to sponsor, but absolutely loving the podcast. I've been binge listening and finding it really helpful in my role. Great to hear from you, Jack, and and glad you're enjoying the podcast. Good luck for the rest of the season, and thanks for reaching out and getting in contact. Now, as I mentioned earlier, to support the topic Nielsen Sports will discuss with us, Mark has also focused his regular blog on the topic of measurement, and Mark has written about the importance of understanding your data in sponsorship, including the importance of consistent measurement. Here's Mark. Mark Thompson, you're going on another holiday today. Yeah, I am, mate. I'm, uh, you've caught me on the way to the airport. Yeah. Yep. So we're recording from the much more 
relaxed environment of my home office. I feel like you're sitting in the commentary box there with your boom <laughs> mic and your headphones and your double screens, and I'm sitting on the sideline, you know, the, the, the expert commentary from the sideline. One of the great things I always thought about being a commentator was that people are forced pretty much to listen to you, and I could live with that. <laughs> Well, talk to my mum about uh, whether she listens to Phil Gould or (laughs) or listens to the radio coverage and puts the TV on mute. So, you're off on another trip back to England. Back to England, mate. Back to uh, London and Ireland, actually. Heading up to Dublin Mm -hmm. for a couple of meetings with Pro 12 Rugby and the GAA, IRFU. Very good. Been to Dublin before? Never. Hmm. It's good. I'm actually heading up a, on a Sunday morning early, and I'm going to have the da- the Sunday in Ireland around having a look around Dublin. Do you like Guinness? Um, I like Irish Guinness. Yes, very yes. good. Well, if you go, assuming it's the same as when I went there bleh, close to 15 years ago, you can go to St James's Gate in the brewery, mm-hmm. to the brewery tour, yep. and you walk all the way up the top, and you get a nice fresh pint of Guinness to enjoy as you look out. The windows and I was nice. lucky enough to go on that tour with uh, two females and by the time we got to the top they uh, I'm not drinking that so I had three Guinnesses at like 10 30 in the morning or something so well, I'm going with with Alex our UK territory manager so um he'll probably be the same yes so I'll good. get two at very least good. young kids can't handle their Guinness no way nah. <laughs> you get ever get frustrated oh, I get frustrated um this could be a long session. Do you get frustrated around things in yeah. sponsorship? Yeah, okay, okay right. Much good. more refined because I do have five children. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I do. I do get frustrated. Anything not, frustrating not often, you at though. the moment? Yeah, I've, I get frustrated at the moment around um, around people's understanding and use of data. Right. Why? Look, data measurement is not new to sponsorship, right? It it. it the fact is that it actually gives value to assets in terms of like a media exposure valuation that has actually become the most important currency in sponsorship me- measurement. And rightly so. It's a, it's a benchmark to measure everything on an apples for apples kind of basis. And I saw a post on LinkedIn this morning of somebody pushing at a sponsorship property front of shirt. I think it might have been rugby league in the UK. Um, and, and the pitch on LinkedIn, just, you know, shotgun approach was that um, it's been independently verified by our friends at Nielsen Sports, yep. that it provides a six-to-one return on investment. Perfect. So that, that sort of data is fantastic. And, and there is actually some really exciting pending developments in the market um, through our friends there at Nielsen Sport, which, which do excite me. And, and the reason they excite me is because we're finally starting to get to a point where um, we can, we're, we're using one form of valuation for media exposure on branding and then another totally different algorithm and form of measurement for things like digital assets and, and whatnot, which is really uh, gives you a sort of unequal valuation against different partnerships who have loaded up in certain areas. And so there's two things that frustrate me in sponsorship and, and this new development looks to i've read a white paper that they've just released and it it looks to actually be moving towards solving those issues so i'm I'm actually now far less frustrated so what are those two things because i'm i'm hoping you get a bit agitated (laughs) here this could be good good radio (laughs) look i'm a massive advocate for data and selling and that's probably why a lot of this might not frustrate other people um but i I, i'm you know very very data driven in in how I sell, I like to be able to go well prepared with what outcomes are likely to be able to be achieved and then work with partners around how to achieve those outcomes. So um, in one of my, actually, even to the point that in one of my most recent roles, I refused to even 
start to look at selling sponsorship until we had done some decent research and we had a really good understanding of what our market position was and what our value proposition was. So the first thing that frustrates me when speaking to those within the industry is that information garnished from receiving insights and valuation-based reports is just used to tick a box. So, yep, we've got the valuation report, here it is, and give it to existing partners and basically tick that box and then move on. It's important to know that's not the, the, the people that are providing the valuations and the data and the metrics. That's not their fault that it's not getting used properly, right? Not at all. It's, it's actually what they're doing is providing some awesome reports these days, like really detailed, fantastic information and reports. But a lot of the people that we deal with on a, on a sort of coalface basis that are selling at a rights holders level are just using it to say, here's a number. Now, what what that is what they're failing to do is actually failing to try and look at that data understand what it means to the brand because um, you can't expect the brand to be doing that and what it means to the to the rights holders future yeah. growth their commercial growth their and it's, an, it's a big opportunity to differentiate if you put some time into yeah. thinking about you know what the data means what it means for the brand also what it means for you yeah i, I had a I was probably about 10 years ago now i had a boss once that went to the length of getting a, a measurement report for an existing partner. And then he went to a went back to that company, it was Repicom at the time, and asked them to do a different report if the logo looked a little bit different. Mm. So what were the best practice logos out there? What logos were getting the best results? And it was things like, you know, colour, shortened logo, Con- contrast. Rec- regularly recognizable features of a logo. Yep. Um, sort of trademark type features. And they, what they ended up doing was just putting a road underneath their logo on, on the uniform and changing the first two colours to a different colour to the last two of the word. They actually rebranded their company as, as a result of that report and their media valuation immediately almost doubled, almost wow. doubled immediately. And it's it, probably good that you talk to each other about how you can get the most value out of those things that yeah. are going to be measured like that, right? That company's still with that, with that club. Like they're still there as a as a really senior property. It's it's probably really you know that's value adding, and and the second thing I'm frustrated about why research and inset sites stop there at that brand management measurement though. There's so many ways organisations can provide value and present value by walk, working sort of more closely with their delivery and brands to ascertain some good metrics and and things not totally. Um, exposure driven metrics we're talking about you know usage of assets metrics and you know successful usage of assets click-throughs on things like email campaigns engagement levels not a dollar value an actual engagement number and setting goals against those and then reporting against them and then using those outcomes to sell so you're excited because there's been a bit of, of development. There's our friends at uh, Nielsen Sports have, have released a white paper. Yes. Have you read it? I have read it. Thank God. Otherwise <laughs> <Have laughs> it you, would be thanks you? and enjoy your trip. <laughs> uh, I've scanned it and yeah. I um, will uh, have the guys on the, on the podcast in a second. So I need to read it properly and, and, and come up with all my questions. But I have scanned it. Mm. It looks very interesting. It is interesting. I mean, there's some insights in there that you wouldn't expect, but it, but it makes so much sense actually when you read it and you, and you look at it and you're like, wow, that is, this is, it's actually, I mean, I'm, I'm probably stargazing a little bit, but it, it looks to me like the, the sort of thing which will, again like repicom did all those years ago change the currency of sponsorship it strikes me as is 
I mean, maybe it's technology driven and the ability to actually do it. But you know, why hasn't this been done before? People well, have been crying out for it, right? Well, it's kind of been done before, but because of the lack of technology and and um, and drivers behind it. It's been done in, in separate ways and therefore created a lot of inconsistencies in how things were measured. So what, what, what's covered in the white paper and why is it significant for the sponsorship industry and those that are listening to the podcast? So look, the, the game-changing thing in defining the currency um, that I was just talking about is that um, Nielsen are, are releasing what they're calling a unified approach to measurement. So that means that it's a holistic exposure value will be available for brands and rights holders across multiple channels so basically one big number to say this is what the partnership was worth but then the ability to break that down to channel by channel um i'm not sure if it's going to be even sort of fixture by fixture but the the white paper they had had that and it'll let you know what channels got the most engagement for what games when why how and you'll be able to drill down and it's using the same metrics to measure it all and it's providing a, a single dollar figure back to it. So what you know what that means is you know so many more um, best practice theories are allowed to be put into place now and people can use this data to actually drive their business forward across the board. How will it impact sponsorship sales staff on the front line when they're talking to people? So you and I have been talking for a while now about um, you know the people that are moving ahead leaps and bounds are, are those who have empo- employed the new age selling approach where linking objectives to benefits. And, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work around that as well through our business. And the collaborative approach between brands and rights holders means that a more sophisticated program is able to be put in place where every single benefit offered to a, a brand from a rights holder's point of view is adding value to that partnership. The ability then to draw value data against all those assets and see when those assets work and why and what assets maybe aren't working and why and to what audiences enables people to be nimble. So let's think about uh, something in a real-life opportunity that we've talked about on the podcast with Welsh Rugby Union mm-hmm. where they sell 40% or 60% of their assets fixed and then they have 40 or 60% that are movable year on year. With the insights those guys could get from this new development, that movable 40 or 60 percent is always going to be targeted at areas that are going to provide value and for sponsorship sales people they should be excited because one of the great things about welsh rugby is that they sign long-term 10 15 year deals and basically say well let's talk about what your objectives are going to be in year seven or eight when we get there and then we can adjust benefits now it's going to be data driven yep. and that will give brands much more confidence to uh, commit to a long-term deal if they know that those conversations are going to be driven and anchored in data exactly right and and how sustainable is that commercial model too where you've got a long-term partner you know hand on heart because you've got the metrics in front of you that you are able to continually pivot to provide value to those guys because that's one of the big hesitations of a long-term deal is things change Mm. you know 10 years ago someone that signed a deal 10 years ago would have had no social media benefits in their partnership or maybe even led signage when did that come in well you know all the all the different things that are are sort of on the horizon are going to be different but the ability to move measure and then apply is really exciting. Mm, very good. Um, and if you want to download that white paper, there's links in the in the blog at sponsor 
net, and you can read through all those points that we've just been speaking about. Yeah, and you know what else I'd be actually, you know, really um, interested in in hearing from, and and we've got our own tools, right? Like the sponsorship planner cards that aid the sales, and then these this data alongside those sorts of tools are, are going to be, you know, really really good because it, it brings together the non-measurable exposure pieces against the measurable exposure pieces, and you can start create some really cool partnerships, but. That they're just little things that that sort of excite me just from a one angle of sales or so which is the aligning benefits to objectives I'd, I'd be really keen to hear what other benefits people out in the audience can actually um, see for for themselves in their business and how they operate because of this new development mm, interesting so get in touch mark at sponsor.net or you can find him on uh, LinkedIn or just as importantly, if you want to catch up for a cold beer and uh, watch watch the Lions tour, yeah, uh, England got knocked out of the Champions Trophy overnight, yep. so uh, can't get together and watch some cricket. Yeah, I think what the, else you got planned while you're over there? Um, have you got much free time, like in the evenings, to catch up with people if they want to have uh, a chat? Yeah, a little bit here and there. I've got uh, probably yeah three or four evenings over the two weeks that I've I've got nothing on, um, but yeah, no, I'm 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 happy to make time. I'm always up for a breakfast, yep. lunch, or dinner. Smashed avocado. Yeah, mate. Big fan. Poached, All right. Poached egg. Safe travels. Cheers. Michael Tang, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Strategy and Solutions at Nielsen Sports and Entertainment, has been in the industry for over 12 years, including being part of the team for quite some time at Repucom before the sale to Nielsen last year. Now, Michael contributed significantly to Nielsen Sports' recent white paper, Unified Measurement, Defining a New Sponsorship Currency, and he joins us now to discuss it in detail. Here's Michael. Michael Tang, welcome to the show. Thank you. We always kick off with a few easy icebreaker questions just to help the audience you know, get to know you a little bit better. We don't want to jump into the hard questions straight away. And the first one is, apart from the obvious, the family members and the pets, what is the one item you would take with you if your house was on fire? Good question. Uh, I think I'd have to say my wife's jewellery because you know what they say, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> It's a very insightful answer. Now, you and I grew up in the same city, so I'm hoping I am familiar with the answer to this second icebreaker question, which is, what was your first ever job? I used to clean golf clubs and um, race golf carts at at Royal Canberra Golf Club. Very nice. Uh, I did that for a couple of years. Yeah. Very nice. So, on to the serious stuff. Michael, what has been your experience and uh, career progression up to your current role? So I joined the business, a business called Repicom, back in 2005. So I was just starting out. I'd been at a media agency for the better part of a year. And um, an older fellow I was friendly with there um, got in touch with me. I think he knew I was kind of looking around. And he said, look, these, these guys are, are starting something. Um, it's an interesting idea. It's around sponsorship and measurement. Um, you should go talk to them. And I went and talked to Danny Townsend, one of the founders. And I think, look, I think well, they were looking just—they were looking for someone who was cheap um, <laughs> and new media a little bit, and I fit the bill. So, um, so yeah, I joined joined the business back then, and it, you know, obviously we grew rapidly from you know a handful of us in Australia up into a, a global business that ultimately you know was sold to Nielsen a year ago, I think today or tomorrow. Um, so through that time, you know, various roles. 
for everything from operational through to client service through to sales. You know, you, you wear all the hats along the way. And I, I moved over to the US when we were looking to scale the business back in 2009, and I've been here ever since. So now, obviously now you're, you're in America and you're now the Senior Vice President Global Strategy and Solutions for Nielsen Entertainment. Let us know a little bit more about that role. What is your or what are your main areas of responsibility and what, what does a typical week or fortnight look like for you? Yeah, sure. So Nielsen Entertainment um, has a few different uh, divisions. So there's a sports division, which is primarily that Repicom business, but there was a legacy Nielsen sports business, um, mostly in the US. And it's got a music division. So think about the billboard charts and what, what drives those charts in terms of album sales and all that sort of stuff. We do all of that. Um, games, um, eSports, we're just starting, and books. So my job is to set the roadmap for products and services um, for those divisions around, um, you know, the, what we're going to deliver to the market and how we're going to answer the market need. And then I work with the teams to, to deliver it. Um, to your question around what does a week look like, well, it's, it's too many meetings, um, <laughs> I have to say. It's, it's the one thing about um, the product, you always have to lead cross-functional teams. And so it takes a lot of, like, touch points and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, moving from, you know, our own wholly controlled startup into a matrixed organization like Nielsen means that you just have to bring a lot of people along um, because there's a lot of groups that are critical to what you're doing but they don't they don't report to you so um, you got to find your way on that but it's been it's been great really really enjoyable and we're doing some really exciting interesting stuff well on that and and focusing on one of those divisions you mentioned that being sports we invited you on the podcast to discuss Nielsen Sports' most recent white paper, and we will dive into the specifics as we go. But for the listeners, can you just set the scene a little bit and just give a bit of an overview of the white paper and specifically what is driving the need for unified measurement? Sure. So this is related to sponsorship specifically. So, you know, sponsorship and media, it's all about, you know, traditionally it's been about... um, what sort of uh, exposure is being driven inside of, you know, traditional media, um, be it TV, be it print, radio, online, etc. And, you know, what's happening and what's causing this need for, for unified, uh, unified approach to, to measurement is that consumption is changing. Nothing, nothing new, nothing new there. And, and this, this change is causing uncertainty. So for us as Nielsen, we're in the business of helping both sides, rights holders and brands. Um, to be able to have a common base of understanding around the, the relative delivery of assets and exposure and all the things that live within sponsorship. So as social becomes more important and video proliferates across both social and digital sites, total consumption of a sport or a team or an athlete that a fan loves, it may well be higher. But it's just that they're watching less of a linear broadcast and they're consuming content in different ways. And for sponsors, you know, that's challenging. And for rights holders, that's challenging in terms of telling a story around, um, you know, where the numbers are going. Because, you know, as you know, sponsorship deals are done multi-year. They might be long-term deals. And so the shape of what is being delivered to a sponsor within a within one agreement can shift. You've got to keep a narrative going on that. And then you've got to understand when you go to renew it, how do you renew it? Where should the focus be? And how do we move the dollars around? So we hope that, with the work that we're doing, we're going to 
help serve that conversation. And I think that's a particularly interesting or insightful point to make about the long-term deals and then renewing them because, you know, you and I hear about deals all the time that are sometimes 10, maybe even 15 years long. And if you think back to what technology was and consumption was 10 to 15 years, it'll probably, 10 to 15 years ago, it will probably change just as much in the next 10 to 15 years, won't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that'll be an interesting thing for how deals are constructed. Um, and particularly as it relates to some of the, the more variable assets like we're talking about here, um, I think there's going to be really interesting ways that rights holders are, are going to get into that space. And people have different strategies. You know, like some people are all about, you know, getting their content out there. You know, the NBA is a good example. And others are very, very protective of it um, because they've got a big linear TV you know, model or whatever it may be. But everyone's, everyone's finding their way. But, but I think we're, we're still at the dawn of all of this stuff. And unless people have been living under a rock, they've probably known for some time that the advances in technology, particularly in terms of being able to measure it now, combined with the increasing pressure on sponsorships to deliver return on investment and and objective has meant that unified measurement was probably only ever a matter of time. What are some of the key stats that that have actually brought it to a head now? Yeah, sure. So I think about this in a couple of dimensions. So you've got media consumption as one, and then you've got the role of sports, particularly in social. So in terms of some stats around that, you know, look, thinking about some of the, the data that Nielsen collects, so this is U.S. data. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, adult age 18 to 34, you know, media consumption on their smartphone has, you know, surpassed um, the amount of time they spend with television for, for that cohort. So... Um, if you if you think about that as it relates to how people are consuming sport, you know it's still um, people still choose to watch TV on the best available screen. So what it's telling you is there's a huge amount of um, consumption that's happening outside of TV. And and if you think about TV and the role of sports within TV, it's still it's incredibly important and it's only growing in importance. And the stat to support that is that in 2016, 91 of the top 100 live US top you know US telecasts you know linear broadcasts was sport. That's up from I think either six or nine in 2005. Wow. So as the ecosystem shifts around and everyone's on Netflix and Hulu and everything else, you still want to watch sport on TV. So it's still TV is still incredibly important in the mix, but all the consumption that's happening around it is really, really important. And, and to that point, uh, one last stat for you is that you know we have a business at, at Nielsen um, called Nielsen Social, and they measure conversation around TV programming. So they can understand all the owned and all the earned conversation that happens around specific broadcasts as they happen. Sports represents about three percent of the total broadcast schedule that they look at, but over fifty percent of the social conversation. So it's valuable stuff uh, in, in, the new, in the new sort of media models as well. So all of this leads us to that point of let's get serious about social and, and really build data in a, in a, in a big way. Mm. And look, and stats are always great and they help us make our reports look really cool, but they're usually bite-sized takeaway uh, bits of information for people but what is the bigger picture in more detail what's the industry needing to understand on a deep level understand what is happening here yeah look i think fundamentally audience attention is being diluted 
I mean, I, I think I heard a stat the other day that, you know, five years ago or seven years ago, the average attention span for an adult was 13 or 13 and a half or 14 seconds. It's now down to 9.4 seconds. I think a goldfish is at eight. So, <laughs> you know, people's attention is, is, is being diluted. So how you grab that attention, how you hold that attention is, is key. Um, and you see that manifested, manifesting itself in competition formats, whether it's Big Bash, whether it's, uh, Super Sixes Golf, whatever it may be. People are looking to understand shorter form ways to keep people involved. And I think more broadly, there's just greater competition for this attention. I mean, people are getting smarter and, and I see this in my role, um, at Nielsen Entertainment where we're across music or across games and esports and books. There's a lot of options out there and, People are becoming more discerning with where they spend their time, and to make the investment to watch a three-hour baseball game is is tough. Um, so you know that's why you see the demos on TV are getting older and older, and you know properties out there are really trying to think about how do they um, have people spend some time with their with their brand and with their with their product in different ways. You mentioned social media before and for a long time and and we still see it and you probably see it a lot when we're talking to rights holders that social media has been seen by so many as something that is just there, it's free to use for the most part and it's it's easy to just chuck sponsors' content up on it and and take the attitude of, oh look, it'll be okay, it'll be fine, It's, it's free, we just get content up there. We see a lot of people even throw social media in the list of benefits that they're giving a sponsor when it isn't even clear how it will help achieve the sponsor's actual objectives of the sponsorship. And it kind of feels like we've we've turned a corner almost in the past year or so with more and more people realising the value of social media and offering it more wisely to their partners. Is proper measurement of social media in sponsorship the next logical step in the evolution of people's use and understanding of it in sponsorship? Look, we think so. We hope we're right. Um, but, you know, it, it's all about, um, you know, back to the point re- you know, regarding attention. I mean, you know, there's a higher bar um, being set for authenticity. Um, so the quality of the content needs to be really, really good. And I think people are getting better at that. Um, and also the sophistication around um, really understanding the partner's objectives and how to create content that speaks to that. Um, again, I think we're really early on it, but you, but I think the it's where a lot of the growth is because, you know, to your point around chucking it in deals, it's really it's chucked in deals, you know, one of the reasons why is because it kind of has a, the inventory is infinite. Yeah. Right? You can, you can throw in as much as you want, but take that to, take that logic to its, you know, to its end, you know, to the end, you're going to just kill your fans with, mm. with rubbish. So it has to be quality and, and as, as more and more of that happens, there's going to be a you know a trend back the other way that people start um, becoming much more careful about it. And also, people are just getting wise on. If you look at you know people don't follow brands, you know people follow passion points. They follow athletes. They follow teams. They follow you know. With all due respect to whether it's Coca-Cola or whoever it may be, it's not that engaging to follow them on Facebook. I mean. It's really about other things. So how these brands are trying to tap into pop culture and get closer to, to cool, uh, it's going to happen through athletes and it's going to happen through teams because that's where passion exists. Mm. 
Mm. And you touched on it before uh, when you're talking about the most uh, popular uh, linear broadcast, but uh, talking about TV. But if you listen to the digital and the social media gurus, uh, that they're saying that traditional media is dead, right? They've been saying it for quite some time, and you know people don't watch television and they don't read the newspaper or listen to the radio anymore. I know it's not true. You probably know it's not true. How important, even with live streaming and on mobile devices available, is TV in the sponsorship landscape? Well, I guess I'd ask you the question, when was the last time you chose to watch State of Origin on your phone when you had a TV in your house? Mm. I yep, mean, it's still, of course. like I said, it's still, it's, it's best available screen. So, you know, I think it's fantastic. You know, streaming on mobile is brilliant. I remember vividly, 2014 FIFA World Cup and I was watching it at the office as, as you do because um, the benefit of being over here and great time zones and was watching Australia play and you know I had to go out and get some lunch and I could just seamlessly pick up the ESPN app walk out the door and be watching it on my phone beautiful and I don't miss, a, don't miss a thing I come back I turn it off I'm back watching the TV I mean that's how I think these things work so TV, to the point around 91 out of 100, TV is still absolutely critical. It's the biggest revenue driver for, you know, effectively any major rights holder. And that's not going to change. You know, the definition of TV will probably change. So, yes, it's a large panel that's sitting in your home, but what's powering it? Is it linear? Is it over the top? How is it being served up to you? That might change. The pipes might change. But um, that's still the primary communal viewing method. So it's not going anywhere. And, you know, I think it's probably more to the point of what we've seen, you know, the NFL, there was a lot of press around, you know, audiences down and all these sorts of things. The NFL is the run over and all, all those sorts of narratives. But really, you know, consumption is changing. You know, people are still, reach is still very, very high, but people are just watching less of it. And then that starts to reflect itself back in what we were saying around how do people change the product? How do they make it, you know, more flow and less stop-start and all those sorts of things that keep people involved and keep people engaged? Yeah, I think it's an interesting comment around best available screen at any point in time because I would never choose to watch sport on a mobile device when I've got a big 60-inch TV sitting in my lounge room, nor would I choose to watch it when other people want to watch it with me and that social aspect of yelling at the TV together and high-fiving and and all that sort of stuff. I think that plays an important role. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, it's, a, it's absolutely, it's a tribal, sports is tribal. And, you know, in the US, we've, Nielsen has um, gotten started with adding uh, out-of-home measurement to the currency TV ratings. So ESPN and others have taken that up because the audience that is watching in pubs and bars, particularly in this country, because you have so much... Uh, restriction of watching whether it's local broadcast and you're out of market or there's a lot of games that happen um, during the week. It's just con- continual amount of sports content and then you also have East Coast versus West Coast. So a lot of people watching in bars and it's now part of currency measurement. So when ESPN goes and reports back to sponsors or advertisers their, their audience, they're counting the people you know watching in bars and it's the lift is significant. For some, speaking about measurement, for some measurement, I don't know, it can seem a little bit like black magic, can't it? Like, no doubt there is, there's lots of moving parts, but the white paper outlines, at a top level at least, Nielsen's 
social valuation methodology, doesn't it? Can you explain that to us? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it does. So, look, there's a couple of parts to it. So one is exposure, one is engagement. So if you think about traditional uh, sponsorship measurement in media, it's all about exposure. So logos on shirts and LED boards, etc. cetera. Um, and there is a portion of that in social because of whether it's in still imagery, whether it's in video, even whether it's in text, there is brand appearance. So you know, we capture that and that's one part of it. So what was the exposure? And then it's the, you know, the typical who saw it. So whether that's, if it's a video, we've got to understand, you know, how many people watch that video for how long so we can calculate, you know, average, um, average viewing um, to really understand the average audience at the time. And then it's understanding, well, what does it cost to reach those people? And there's really rich data um, in terms of how much it costs to buy media inside of social. So you can pull that together and that can provide a view on exposure. And that tells a really clean story around, okay, Manchester United, your jersey front delivered X in TV, it delivered Y in print, it delivered this in digital, and in social, this is what it delivered. And you get that clean view across all of them. So the other is engagement. Um, and sorry, within exposure, obviously, we're capturing also all of the likes, comments, shares, and the way that it proliferates around. Um, and then when it comes to engagement, that's really that sponsored content. And so within that, we're looking at those same sort of pieces um, around exposure, et cetera, but we're also looking at the content itself and providing a qualitative score and also valuing because, you know, in Facebook or others, you know, there is a cost per like, there is a cost per share because people buy media in that way. So we can use that to line up uh, a methodology and be very transparent about it around how these values get built, uh, which is really, it's really predicated upon how media is bought and sold inside of those platforms. In terms of other benefits that uh, Ride Totals will offer sponsors, logo exposure is, and you know, probably for the foreseeable future, if not a long time, a big ticket item in terms of benefits offered. But does logo exposure on social media platforms need to be approached differently to, say, traditional benefits like measuring LED in front of jersey? Well, it's, it sort of goes to that point around you've got exposure as one part of it, and it has different dimensions in terms of how it's shared and who's seeing it and how you account for that. But then there is engagement, which is a separate way of dealing with social. And look, within engagement-based content, there will still be exposure of LEDs and jerseys, and that will be valued in a certain type of way. But fundamentally, on that side of it, we're actually trying to value the content because when someone, when a brand is working with a rights holder to produce a particular story, I mean, it's, it's an advertorial, you know, it's, it's branded content. So we have to think about it that way because they're trying to move the consumer along in terms of how they think about the brand. It's not just a passive exposure vehicle like jerseys and LEDs are. I just wanted to touch on that point again around social media. You spoke about it a little bit before, but social media really only works well when there is good and relevant content that the audience finds valuable and as you mentioned before as well simply pushing out bad content has the potential to alienate the very audience that the rights holder is providing access to how important is it for rights holders and brands to really work together to create good content for social media that's critical you know i I think what we're seeing is that the top rights holders they're in effect becoming digital activation agencies so you know it's all about right creative at the right time on the right platform 
you know, to move marketing objectives. That's really where it's going because, you know, again, just going back to sort of being, you know, commercial, um, this is the growth opportunity for rights holders because they can, you know, if they're creative enough they can, and, and they can create content that is compelling enough, you know, fans are always hungry for more, but it's got to be good. Um, so there's, there, is a, there is a sort of a, a very, very high ceiling on this, um, but the, the bar is high on, on how much people are, you know, how, how, how good the content needs to be. Considering, let, let's pull it all together a little bit, considering all we've discussed so far, and clearly Nielsen Sports role in this is, is largely or, or hinges on, on the measurement, but what, what's your, your wider role in all of this? Look, our role as an independent measurement company um, is to provide comparable trusted measurement to the marketplace. So, you know, unlike TV ratings for Nielsen, you know, people don't transact around our numbers. They don't say, oh, Nielsen Sports said this post was worth X or TV delivery of LED is worth Y, so that's what I'm going to charge for it. It's not how it works. But what they use it for is to understand benchmarks and relativities and growth year on year. So, you know, we want to invest in large data sets like we've done in TV inside of social so people can really get an understanding of where they fit in the landscape, how they're growing year on year, and really critically back to the point around unified measurement, what does that look like compared to TV and and other media vehicles? Because there's an established marketplace around understanding that side of it. So if people can understand social within the existing construct, it's going to make them feel much more comfortable. So if we're saying, look, social in this total sponsorship is delivering an incremental 5% of value or 15% of value, that means something because there's a lot of companies coming into the space, um, technology-based companies that are saying, look, we can do your social for you, it's fantastic, here's how it works. But the reality is, as a rights holder, if you've got a company doing social measurement for you, you've got us doing TV, we've got someone else doing print, how you bring that all together into a cohesive story that's Apple's to apples um, that you can go and deliver back to your sponsor and get the sponsor bought in on, yeah, this is working and I can use this internally to go back to my board. Very, very challenging. So, you know, we think we're uniquely placed to um, provide a comp- you know, a comprehensive approach. Is delivering that unified measurement a technical challenge considering the fragmentation of the audiences and all the platforms? Yeah, it is. It is, and, and also you know, the speed of innovation in content and in ads formats on the different platforms, that adds to it as well. It's, it's evolving, you know, whether it's Instagram stories or carousels or whatever it may be. We have to think about what does that look like? How's it being activated for sponsors? You know, what does it look like inside of the API? How do we deal with that? Um, you know, it's also to the point around audience, these are walled gardens. Um, so there aren't TV ratings for it. So we have to have... Um, techniques for when we work with clients direct and they want to provide their analytics to us, how do we pipe that into our system? And when we don't, how do we have really smart modeling um, around estimating audiences and estimating impressions that is all validated through real data that we have so that um, we can provide this comparable, consistent measurement and not be hamstrung by needing involvement by certain clients or by certain platforms. So, it's challenging, but look, if it was easy, uh, it wouldn't be valuable. So that's why we're, we're focusing on it. 
Let's take a look at that in action. The white paper outlines a case study from last season's El Clasico where Nielsen Sports measured the value of the game generated by or for each team individually. What did Nielsen Sports find out there? Yeah, so we looked at a... It was, it was a game played in December 2016 um, at Camp Nou. And what it shows you is that look, the, the total returns in terms of media are still... Um, and we looked at we looked at TV both from a dedicated standpoint, meaning the the game itself, and that's you know, live broadcast, delayed and repeat, and that's globally um, across the full broadcast distribution. Um, so we looked at non-dedicated TV um, in select football markets. So that's looking at basically news and highlights programming. Uh, we looked at online and print in a selection of markets, and then we looked at social media globally. So, look, what we saw is that, you know, just to quote you some of the numbers, you know, TV from a dedicated standpoint drove a little under $27 million in in media equivalency, adjusted media equivalency. You then had, so it's about 60% of the total pie. You had non-dedicated driving about nine and a half, um, which is another 20%. So TV, about 80% overall. Not unexpected, um, this is very, very uh, attractive content um, from a t- traditional TV standpoint. It's a huge game. A lot of media rights, frankly, are built around these sorts of games for these leagues. You then had print and online delivering another um, 7%, and then you had social delivering about $5 million at 12%, which in the grand scheme of things doesn't seem like a lot, but that's 12% on top of a very, very, very big number and I think importantly, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if we looked at these numbers from last year, I would expect them those to be much smaller. And if we look at them again, what will be this year, they will be growing again. Um, and it's not as if it's coming at the cost of TV. It's not like TV, it's not a zero-sum game. So social is growing. Um, and if we unpack the number um, a little bit more, there, there you can look at it and, and there are, other ways to look at, well, that's a total value, but what about by team? Does it, does it, is it different between home and away? So there's elements like that that, that we can look at as well. Well, I was going to ask you about that because on the surface it would, you know, to the layman, I suppose, appear that social media is social media and the importance or the percentage of the value provided wouldn't really change much from a, a home game versus a, an away game. That's not true, is it? No, I mean this was a this was a Barcelona home game, and so obviously when that's happening, they've got their full suite of assets in play from a TV standpoint. They've got all their signage, they've got everything happening. They control the venue, etc. And again, you know, the tonnage gets carried through your, your TV broadcast. For Real Madrid, all they have is their kit. So you know, over forty percent of their value around this game window was driven by social. So that's really significant, and I think it speaks to the year-round activation and value um, that you can drive through social. Um, and it's, this is obviously in season, but the broader point is there: if you can, going back to our conversation about content, if you can come up with good enough content, it's a year-round proposition. Hmm. Which again, if you have more traditional assets, they only become available and they only become valuable and useful during the season. Mm, I think that's very interesting and some insightful comments there. Uh, thinking about all this, how would you sum up everything we've spoken about? What's your message to the, the global sports sponsorship industry? 
Look, I think with what we're doing here, hopefully this will allow both sides, so rights holders and brands, to better demonstrate the value and the impact of sponsorship across screens and across platforms and generally to be smarter about how they think about the you know, the various decisions they need to make and that where they put their time and focus. So, look, we're big belie- ultimately we're really big believers in the power of sponsorship and you know, that was the premise behind you know, Repicom starting was that sponsorship was really challenging to measure um, and there is an existing businesses that, you know, our founders were involved in that, that really struggled with that point. And so, you know, started on this path to better measure it and better understand it so that we could help to grow the, grow the industry. And, you know, Nielsen, you know, what Nielsen is built around is, is measurement providing, which provides efficacy and helps drive currency and transaction and everything else to grow a, to grow a marketplace. So, for us, we want to provide independent measurement and analytics to support the industry. Um, and as it continues, as sports continues to grow in value within the media and marketing landscape, yeah, we hope we can help contribute to that. After we finished here, I'll make some comments for everybody, let them know where they can go and download uh, the white paper from uh, at the Nielsen website. But Michael, if we want to get in touch with you or find out more about Nielsen Sports and how you can help them, what can they do? Yeah, sure. So you know, you can go to our website, nielsensports.com, or feel free to get in touch with me. I'm on I'm on LinkedIn, so um, just look me up there. Michael Tang, Senior Vice President, Global Strategy and Solutions for Nielsen Entertainment. Thank you so much for taking us inside Unified Measurement. Pleasure. Thanks for the time. I trust that you enjoyed the first of our podcasts in partnership with Nielsen Sports. I think Unified Measurement has been somewhat of a holy grail for uh, quite some some time, especially as audiences are more fragmented and digital becomes more and more important in sponsorship. So it is very exciting to see some solutions that will make everyone's roles uh, a little bit easier, both for rights holders and brands. If you'd like to download a copy of the white paper, simply head to nielsen.com and click on Insights or visit sponsor.net where we've provided a direct link to the download page in the show notes of this episode. And thanks again to Michael Tang for finding some time in his very busy schedule to share his insights on unified measurement. If you want to connect with me, then you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at sponserve. And of course, you can connect with Mark on LinkedIn or email using mark at sponserve.net. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want a shout out, just like Jack Bury, be sure to get in contact. We really do love hearing from you guys. We love hearing from listeners. If you haven't already, head along to iTunes and leave us a review. It makes us feel super special. But more importantly, it helps others just like you find the show and learn from others in the industry. And that's why we produce this show. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs and resources, head to sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn. LinkedIn.